We are in the end of the Ten Commandments, and you shall find the Tenth Commandment in Exodus <coughs> chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, I should say that I've really enjoyed uh, the study through the Ten Commandments, and I hope that you've also enjoyed the teaching series through uh, these uh, words. Uh, given to Moses at Mount Sinai. Uh, I'd like to read from verse 1 of chapter 20 to verse 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may belong in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. Verse 18 really sets the tone for us and tells us of the gravity of the standard of God's law. Look at it, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. If you grew up in a Catholic um, background or in a Catholic home, you were taught the Ten Commandments differently. In the Catholic Catechism, the Second Commandment, which is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. That commandment is omitted in the Roman Catholic Catechism. Um, and then you have in verse 17, they come up with two commandments in verse 17. Out of the ninth commandment, they say, the ninth commandment is, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And then the tenth commandment is, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You do notice that for you to do that, you have to change the wording and the order in scripture. Because you shall not covet your neighbor's house comes before you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So to put your neighbor's, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife as the ninth commandment, and then you put, you shall not covet your neighbor's house as the tenth commandment, you've, you've changed the order. Uh, you've rewritten the, the ten commandments. So they split the tenth commandment into two commandments. You understand that 
they do that because they want to get rid of the second commandment which is a commandment of making any graven image you see the whole roman catholic system is based on graven image images that is why they have to get rid of the second commandment yet scripture refers to them as the 10 commandments in exodus 34 verse 28 he says so he was there with the lord 40 days and 40 nights he neither ate bread nor drank water this he says and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant the 10 commandments what we have here is the totality of the moral law and for one to decide to omit one of the commandments of god is to negate the standard of the law of god uh, deuteronomy 4:13 declares them as 10 commandments says and he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform that is the 10 commandments and he wrote them on two tablets and so it's sinful to delete the second commandment so that you can split the 10 commandment and then you can have the 10 commandments now what the catholic does is is wrong in romans chapter 7 you notice that paul refers to the 10th commandment as one commandment you shall not covet in the jewish system this was the 10th commandment <coughs> this commandment rules out coveting of all kinds see there's no distinction between coveting your neighbor's wife and coveting your neighbor's house it is all coveting and so Romans chapter Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 is meant to be one commandment. This commandment as we looked at last week uh, is a unique commandment among the rest of the 10 commandments. What do you think makes it unique? What is different with this commandment among the rest? This commandment is unique because it essentially deals with the sin that happens in the heart. It goes to the root of all sinful action. And this commandment is really a proof that the law of God is given with the intention of dealing with the heart. And so it's not simply about external behavior. And so some may argue that The rest of the commandments deal with visible deeds committed against God. But as we've gone through, we have seen that that is not the case. They speak to the heart. All of them describe visible deeds, but at the root of it is the heart. And so the 10th commandment essentially deals with the inward man. The thoughts and the intentions of the heart that are invisible to others. When you come to a true understanding of what this commandment means and how easily it is committed you'll be shocked to realize how regularly you break the law of God of all the commandments i believe there is none that we break the most than the 10th commandment this commandment proves that we are so helpless to obey the law of God our deceitful hearts are the hotbed in which evil thoughts germinate this commandment teaches clearly that our thoughts are evil and so it's not merely evil deeds that qualify to be seen this commandment expressly forbids evil desires none of us can pretend to escape the condemnation of this commandment we come to the sin of command of coveting and it is absolutely clear that it is forbidden 
the irony is the whole history of human sin has been the sin of coveting. You go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, what were they coveting? What did they covet? What did Adam and Eve covet? Yes, they wanted to be like God. They coveted God's glory. And so the word covet in its basic root means to desire. So the word is neutral. Uh, it, 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 it can be good desire, it can be evil desire. Uh, the word stands by itself. And so there can be legitimate desires and there can be illegitimate desires. Someone has said, desire is the combustible fire that moves human life. See, there are things that are acceptable, legitimate to desire. What are the examples of legitimate coveting? example of legitimate coveting, lawful coveting. When, when you commit to, uh, to, to exclusively uh, love your wife and you covet her, you love her, uh, that is um, a legitimate coveting. own a property and you're a good steward of it and uh, you don't want it to be destroyed there's a sense in which you protect it you covet it in a godly way uh, uh, but you, you have to qualify the sentence also and say that you should be able to give it up isn't it uh, one of the ways you know that it is an idol to you is you're so attached to it <coughs> If you're willing to give it up, if you're willing to use it for the glory of God, for the good of others, uh, and you're stewarding it faithfully, then that is the right of, uh, that is rightful uh, coveting. See, God has wired us in such a way that we have certain desires. Um, the thing that makes this sin evil has to do with the nature of our heart. God has given us good desires because, for instance, um, if if you did not have sexual desire, for instance, you'll not desire to marry, isn't it? Uh, God has given you the right kind of desire, sexual desire, so that you have a need of companionship, you have a need of procreation, uh, you have a need of marriage. But the problem is with our heart. And so the desire in itself is not wrong. The desire, for instance, think for a moment, if you did not have desire for food, you'll be starved to, to death, isn't it? If you didn't have the appetite, you didn't want to eat, you will die, isn't it? And so, God has given you a desire for food when you're hungry. That desire is not bad in, in and of itself, but it is bad when it becomes gluttonous, isn't it? 
that is the thing that makes it evil. And so, we come to verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. What do you think is the parallel today to his male servant, his female servant? The old version will have his male slave, his female slave. What are you, what are you not to covet uh, about your neighbor's slave or servant? What is the parallel to that today? Yes. Yes, you're not to covet other people's employees. It can be a house help. Someone has a very good house help, and <laughs> and and uh, you, you desire, you longingly lust to have such a uh, such a house help. Um, and so, in every of these commandments, we see a requirement as well as a prohibition. And so, this commandment. Is the as we saw last week is the starting point of breaking all other commandments. So that long before someone commits adultery, long before someone steals, long before someone disobeys their parents or commits murder, the root is the desire, evil desire in their heart. It is the evil desire in their heart that leads them to commit the sin. It is at the heart of breaking other commandments. What is required in this commandment? And the positive commandment, it is to take care of your neighbor's posi- uh, position and to love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you respect what God has given to them, isn't it? This commandment also requires that we are to, con- to be content with what we have. What is illustrated here is that we ought to be satisfied with what God has given us. What it prohibits is envy, jealousy, dissatisfaction. Um, you do realize that the issue of coveting ends up to shape our society because if people are content with what they have people will be positive contributors to the society isn't it people will give to support others if they are content if they are satisfied with what God has blessed them with but the thing with covetousness is you're always grasping for more and you're hardly giving it out and so you destroy the very fiber of the society. And so you shall not covet your neighbor's house. It could be a statement like, I'm so tired with living in this neighborhood. This place is like a, is like a dump. It must be nice living in a place so fanciful, so decorated, those leafy suburbs. Why can't I have this kind of a house? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You look at your neighbor's wife and you say she's beautiful and you think, why can't I, why can't my wife be like her? Why can't I have her? I wish I married someone like her. I think I'll be so happy if I married someone like her. This applies both to the husband and to the wife. The wife may think of someone's husband, they are very friendly, they are very disciplined, uh, they are good with kids, he's always fixing things in the house, but your husband is always breaking things in the house, isn't it? And then you wonder, why should I stay with this husband? while there are good men out there. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or male servant, or female servant, or his ox, 
what will be the parallel to the ox, the donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's? What were the oxes and the donkeys used for? What will be the parallel for us today? Yes, isn't it? Vehicles, cars. Uh, you look at your car and you think this is a, a piece of junk. This is an old vehicle. Uh, um, or anything that is your neighbor's. Or anything that is your neighbor's, is, it's very general, isn't it? It's very broad. It can be your neighbor's children. You look at your neighbor's children, they are very bright, they are very smart. <coughs> the children can be lazy, indisciplined, rebellious. Or you look at your friend's parents and they are very cool. <laughs> well, your, your, your parents are old-fashioned. And you think, why can't I have parents like this? Um, you desire someone's family uh, or... Or, or how they, or, or how they, they live their life. You see, this scene of covetousness is very subtle. You may look at your wife, your life, and think, "Why is my life so hard? Why is everything so easy for everyone else?" And you begin to be greedy. You begin to wish someone else's life someone else's career. So all of us in one way or the other have greed in our heart. We desire things. Let's turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Someone can read for us that. Romans 7, verse 7 to 8. What then shall we say? But the law is sin. The is Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not seen, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies there. So Paul, a mature Christian, an apostle, confesses that covetous thoughts arose from his heart. In fact, he says here that um, he will not have known the sin of covetousness if the law had not uh, made it known to him. You see, the remaining sin in us is so strong that this commandment of this prohibition against coveting makes you want to covet even more. So we could be seated here talking about the prohibition of this law and the knowledge of this law makes you to do what? Covet more. Isn't it? You see, the law of God stirs up covetousness, covetous desires in us. And so you may ask yourself, is the law bad? Is the law evil? It says in verse 8, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. You see, the law reveals my heart for what it is. And because I am so sinful, I respond to the law of God by disobeying it rather than obeying it. The law against Coveting stirs up more desire for covetous, for covetousness. That is the response of every person who is a sinner. 
So the problem is in us and not the law. The law governs the inward man, not simply the external actions. You see, if you miss that point, you have missed the main point in this series of the Ten Commandments. The law of God governs the inward man and not simply the external actions. The law of God is to govern our heart. It is to expose our heart. If you miss that point, you'd be like the rich young ruler. He tells Jesus that he had kept the law of God since his youth. That is what he told Jesus. And that is because he did not clearly look into the mirror of the law of God and see himself for who he, to, for who he truly is. You remember what Jesus told him in Mark chapter 10, verse 20, 21. Jesus, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That was Jesus' response. He did not argue with him that you have violated the commandments. Jesus tells him, if you have kept the commandments, this is what I want you to do. Sell everything that you have, take up your cross and follow me. What Jesus was telling him is that you cannot earn your way to heaven by selling things and following Christ. You cannot earn yourself to heaven by doing good works. That was not the point. Jesus was giving him some, something tangible to help him to, re, to help him see his own heart. This man thought he was this young man thought that he was a good person. And Jesus gives him a test to reveal his own heart. And the Bible says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he was guilty of breaking the first commandment. His wealth, his prestige was more important to him than God. And his response to Jesus proved that. His whole life was driven by greed. And so this is a blatant violation of the tenth commandment. And so he was not as sinless as he thought. He had not come to grips to what the law of God commanded. And so the law of God is, as we've looked at, it is very multifaceted. So that whenever you have a positive duty, you shall keep the Sabbath, for instance. Whenever you have such a positive duty, which is commanded, you have a negative command that is implied. So that in this commandment, you're not only prohibited from coveting, the Westminster asking, uh, question number 80 asks, what is required in the 10th commandment? So it's not simply the prohibition, but there's a requirement, there's a command. The, uh, the Westminster uh, Catechism says, the 10th commandment requires full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. That is the positive side of this commandment. Hebrews 13 verse 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for your sake. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the positive duty this commandment lays upon us. We are to be content in every circumstance. Divine providence has appointed. You cannot obey this commandment until you embrace the sovereignty of God, until you embrace the providence of God, until you see your life that nothing happens in my life without God's decree, God's direction, God governing it. And the biblical prototype is Job. Remember when he lost his children, his property, in a series of disaster? You remember his response in Job chapter 1, verse 21? And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because he was very confident that God was sovereign over whatever providence God brought into his life. That God was good. That whatever happened in his life, God had a reason for it to be good. 
And he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Someone who has lost ten children. His health has been affected. And still praises the Lord. You see, having a total sovereignty of God proves to you that nothing comes to pass without God's decree. That you've rest, if you've rested in the sovereignty of God, then it is inevitable that you'll be content. Isn't it? If you embrace the sovereignty of God and believe that He's working all things, all things for His glory and for your good, then you begin to see that covetousness, greed, lust are horrible things. So this is a commandment to embrace the sovereignty of God. The negative side, this commandment prohibits every kind of discontentment, every kind of greed, lust, every kind of evil desire. Question or comment before we go on. Sorry, they, they have something they have? Quality. Yes. Um they are quality. Uh for instance, your neighbor is very hard work. Yes. Mm. So that it's a matter of desire something that you can say is good. Yes. The way I can see you know whether we have to say I convert the desire for God or for God. Yeah. I desire that in my life. Mm. I, I felt that pop up in my head when you say uh, desiring even things in other people. Mm. Uh, I don't know what you <coughs> think about. Okay. Because it can also cause discontentment in the sense that. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. True, true, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, true. You, you may think that you're not good enough, isn't it? Yes. You may be a husband and. You have an example of like a perfect husband in quotes, and uh, you're disheartened uh, because you see how uh, how, sh- uh, how you fall short. Um, the Bible in First Corinthians chapter twelve verse thirty-one says, "But earnestly desire the higher gifts." The, the, the idea here is to last, to covet, to covet after the things that God considers to be worthy of praise so that you can you can have an example of a godly person let's say they are humble uh, and you yearn and desire that humility but you're not envious of them rather you're seeking to follow their example, you're seeking to learn from them you're seeking to see that humility lived out and you're seeking to imitate that example. I don't think that is that is sinful, uh, because we are, as we'll continue to see, we, we are encouraged in Scripture to covet the things uh, that are dear to God, that are so close to the heart of God. And so there's a kind of coveting that is not evil. We are to covet the things that God perceives as worthy of. Of, of his desires, worthy of our desires. Because you do notice that God has created us with desires. Um, when, for instance, you're struggling with sexual, sexual immorality and you're a young Christian, you may pray, God, take away this desire. And there's an aspect in which you're wrong, isn't it? Because that's how God designed you. He designed you with sexual desire. But it is sin in you that has changed that desire and has caused you to sin. And so God is never going to take away that desire, isn't it? That is, that is the makeup of who you are. And so desire in and of itself is not bad. But it is the sin 
it is our sinful heart uh, the tattoo of it springs up all these kinds of these, uh, of sins and so covetousness is the breeding ground from which every other kind of sin <coughs> germinates First Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils not some not few but all kinds of evil it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs the love of money is covetousness it is idolatry and so if you desire anything more than what god has given you you have violated this commandment because you are putting what you desire in the place of God. The thing that you covet becomes an idol for you. And so this commandment, as you saw last week, makes people to disobey their parents, to kill, to steal, to commit adultery. All the commandments are linked to this one. And this commandment targets sin in its embryonic form, in its primary form. It shows us that it is not merely the deeds of sin that are sinful before the eyes of God. The thought of covetousness before the eyes of God is evil. It has not translated to you stealing or, 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 or breaking other commandments. That thought, that mere thought of wanting something that is not yours the eyes of God is exceedingly evil. So this is not a minor commandment. You may think this is the last commandment, maybe it's not very serious. This is a commandment that is very, very serious. Because of our fallen nature, I should say, we cannot perfectly control our desires. You see, our desires are a reflection of our nature. We are powerless to change who we are, isn't it? Jeremiah 13 verse 23 says, Can, it, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good. Sorry, then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. How can you do good if you are accustomed to do evil? We are helpless to change our own state. We are powerless to change our own nature. You can have the Think of an example of a child. And there's this food that they really hate. And you seek to force, force it on them. And uh, you, th- you, you, you threaten them with punishment. And eventually they eat the food, isn't it? As a parent, you declare yourself victorious. But you do realize that that willpower in that child is so strong that you can never make them to love the thing that they hate, isn't it? Even you today, there are foods that you hate. Or you don't, like, if, if I can say, you're not comfortable eating. And there's, there's no willpower that can change your decision, isn't it? You cannot force yourself, on the other hand, to like something that your willpower hates. In the same token, you cannot avoid to desire what you love. That is the same problem in the heart of the unregenerate man. We are born with a hatred for God, a love for sin. The carnal man is in enmity with God. The Bible says that. And so it is not the natural thing for the fallen man to desire the things of God. After we become Christians, we are given a new heart, godly desires, godly attitude, renewed spirit. But there's still the remaining flesh in us. So that when Paul says, but sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, producing me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. The evil nature, the evil desires spring from our fallen nature. And there's nothing we can do about it if we are not in Christ. 
but if you're in Christ, you can overcome them by the use of the means of grace. It's a slow process. Our victory will never be completed until we are glorified. You're given a new heart, a new desire, but there is the indwelling sin in us. Sin plagues us. We have all habits, all desires. We cannot completely subdue our sinful thoughts. It is impossible for us to obey this commandment, brethren. The war against covetousness is not a battle that you can win on our own. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of God is perfect. The standard of the law of God is total perfection. And this standard is too high for any of us to attain it. Remember the greatest sermon that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, that's a really harsh statement, isn't it? You cannot go to heaven unless you have a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Yeah, there's a saying in the Jewish culture uh, that if you go to heaven and find two people, one of them will be a Pharisee. And Jesus says, even the Pharisee will not go to heaven. Your righteousness has to be greater than that of the Pharisee. He says in verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, Jesus sets the standard here that is impossible for us to attain. The standard of the law is absolute perfection. It is impossible for the sinful man to attain this standard by his own behavior. So that you have the case of the Pharisees, for instance, oh sorry, you have the case of the uh, rich young ruler, for instance, he made himself as the standard of being good enough, isn't it? He was convinced that he's going to heaven, that he's, that he's kept the whole law of God. He was convinced of that because he had a low view of the law of God. Think of the Pharisees. They set the standard of God's righteousness by comparing themselves with others. So that, you remember the parable of the tax collector? And the Pharisee says, I'm not like other men, isn't it? Extortioners. I'm not like this tax collector. And so you set the standard by comparing yourself with others. So you're redefining the standard of the law of God. And so your standard is not God's standard. The standard of God is perfection. Even the Pharisees in their strict observance of the law, they could not meet that standard. That is impossible standard to attain. You may be wondering, why is the standard so high? Why can't anyone attain this standard? Why has God set the bar too high for us? Simply because God will not compromise. If he sets any lower standard, there will be no absolute perfection. He will have approved of sin. Anything short of God's perfection is unrighteousness. And even if you keep the whole law, what does James say? And stumble in one law, what have you done? Broken the whole law. And so none of us can simply attain it. This commandment strikes at the first rising of sin in your heart. It means that the moment you feel a desire, a thought, an idea of want of something that is not lawful you've already seen you've already violated this 10th commandment and James says you're guilty of violating the whole commandment so it could be (coughs) the way a person dresses you look at them and you love their clothes and you desire to have that cloth it could be the car a person drives the house a person lives. 
begin to feel sorry for yourself. You begin to feel pitiful for yourself. It could be your home. You're discontent with the furniture. And you long for bigger furniture. You long for a bigger house. Because someone else has those things. You're entertaining evil thoughts. It could be an iPhone. You've seen someone with a better iPhone and you want to take your neighbor's phone. You see, we may not see that desire, isn't it? We will only see that desire if you go ahead and steal that phone, isn't it? We will know that person is covetous. But you seated here could be, co- could be coveting someone's phone, but we will never know. It's only God who can see it. And so this commandment, as you can see, it strikes at the first rising of sin in your heart. This is a commandment that drives consumer culture and advertising. Realize that there will be little advertisements, there will be little marketing and promotions if this sin was not present. Question, comment. So let me show you how terrible this scene is. The first point, this scene involves the scene of ingratitude and unthankfulness to God for the blessings he has given you. If you're covetous, it is because you think so lowly of the blessings God has given you. And then secondly, this scene is terrible because it is an offense against the sovereignty and the providence of God. It is an offense against the sovereignty and the providence of God. You have to believe that the ways of God are right. They are good. He's working all things for your ultimate good. So that if you think that God has withheld something good from you, that God has forbidden me from having this thing, then you're distrusting the providence of God. So you need to trust God. You need to believe that he's not withholding anything good from you. And then thirdly, this commandment is serious because it is disobedience to all the commandments in the scripture that command, command us to be content. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why should you be content? Because God tells you, He shall never leave you or forsake you. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's true. Verse 32 He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? So if we trust God to provide for us, we should not covet for the things we do not have. If God is our portion, why should we long for things that we do not have? Fourthly, it is worldly to set our desires on things that we do not have because we are setting our desires on the things of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, brethren. Jesus Christ has promised you full inheritance in heaven. The Christian is the richest person. (coughs) And so why should you covet for something that is not lawfully yours? Something that you know God does not desire for you. Rather desire the treasures of heaven. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth no rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
set your minds on the things above. When you set your mind on the things above, that is where your heart will be. When you start to covet, it means that your heart is not in the right place. And then, fifthly, covetousness is a serious thing because it is the breeding ground for all other sins. You see, the sin of covetousness is the incubation for other serious sins. This sin does not lie dormant. It is not neutral. This is a thought, an idea, that quickly develops into anger, envy, jealousy, strife, and all kinds of evil attitude. And ultimately, it produces those deeds. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, in your, on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, this sin is not small, isn't it? It is very serious. It says all wars, all fightings, they are stemmed from covetousness. Covetousness gives rise to all kinds of wars and fightings, all the evil in the world. It is the fruit of covetous heart. When you pray, your prayers are not answered because they are rooted in what? Covetousness. He says that in James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. So this sin begins to permeate all your behavior and it leads to a lot of evil. You see, this law, I want you to see, emphasizes the utter perfection of God's law. The law of God demands absolute sinless perfection. The standard is too high, brethren. What is demanded of us, we cannot attain it. And so it is a dilemma for every sinner. The plain truth is, if you look at Romans chapter 7, verse, verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. This commandment should make us all to say, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Psalm chapter 119, verse 96, the psalmist says what? That the law of God is so broad that he cannot understand the end of it. This law is very broad. It gathers up every sinful thought and declares them as sinful. And so this law should convict us in a thorough way. It should cause us to examine the secret thoughts of our heart. The Bible says that every imagination of our heart is what? Evil continually. Wretched people that we are. That should make us to feel hopeless, isn't it? That is the, the, the kind of conviction this command should bring to us. Because the law of God threatens. The law of God condemns. The law of God doesn't provide solution. The law of God is there to reveal yourself. You see, the response in, in chapter in, in Exodus chapter 20 verse 18 after the law is given look at the threats and, and the fear that comes with it. He says, now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. That is what all of us could have done if we were in that mountain, isn't it? Because the law of God produces threats and fear. 
produces terror in the hearts of people. That is the message of the Lord. It is a message of utter destruction. Ezekiel <coughs> says, the soul that sin shall surely die. Please turn to Deuteronomy. That is the last passage you are going to look at. Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27, verse 10. Deuteronomy 27, verse 10, he says, You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, this shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And this shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And then you begin, and the Levites shall declare to all the people of Israel in a loud voice. And then the curses begin from verse 15 all the way to verse 26. You have the curses there for anyone who violates the law of God. You see, that was the message of the law. The law was destructive to anyone who violated the commandment of God. Paul says that the law was the ministry of what? Ministry of death. Ministry of condemnation. That is the old ministry of the law. To convict, to show us our guilt, and to put us under condemnation. There's that leave us hopeless this morning? No. There's a good news. There's a good news because without the good news, the law will have left us under the threat of eternal condemnation. Jesus Christ came, born of a woman. At God's appointed time, he came and he obeyed the law of God perfectly on our behalf. There was never a time that he had a covetous thought in his mind. Remember when Satan uh, tempted, tempted him in Matthew chapter 4? He was tempted in all ways. He was offered precious things, glamorous things by the evil one. Yet he did not have a single idea or thought to desire those things. He obeyed the law of God. He fulfilled the standard of perfect righteousness. He took the sins of his people. He died on the cross for us. The Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to be seen for us. So that you can become the righteousness of God in him. You need a perfect righteousness for you to enter heaven. You remember what he said, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Unless your righteousness exists that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you cannot enter heaven. You need a perfect righteousness. And you cannot get that righteousness on your own through the obedience of the law. You cannot do it. You in your state are not fit to get to heaven because the standard of the law is far too high. But Jesus Christ has obtained that standard of righteousness on your behalf. He has clothed you with that righteousness if you've believed in him. And the evidence of that is he conquered death, he conquered sin, he conquered the curse of the law. His righteousness is imputed to those who trust in him by faith. So that no matter how much threats and terror and fear and condemnation the law brings, you have the one who faced the condemnation, the threats, the terror of the law on your behalf. That is the only way that you can receive him through faith. That's the only way you can attain heaven. Not by obeying the law, but putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because the law of God demands utter perfection which you cannot bear. And what the law brings is conviction. And if you have not Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, if you hear his voice, do not hide in your heart. 
Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. If you have not trusted in Him, I implore you today, do not leave this place without knowing Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for its great warnings, its great encouragement to us. We pray that you may help us to walk according to them. Indeed, we thank you for Christ Jesus. We could not perfectly obey your law. And we thank you that we have one who walked in perfect obedience on our behalf. And Lord, we look to you. We trust you, Lord, and we pray that you may help us to, uh, to walk in righteousness, to follow Christ as our example, all to the glory and honor of your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.